Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. Father in heaven, we do adore you. Uh, We love you. We thank you that you are the God that you are, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, that regardless of our emotional status, regardless of what's going on in our life or what we're going through, we can trust that you are the same. Your love is the same. It is unfailing. And that, Lord, you are for us. And, Lord, I rejoice in that this morning. As we look in your word, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and reveal truths uh, that we've never known, that we want to know you. We don't want to just pretend. We don't want to just go through the motions of, of church this morning, but we want to encounter you, the living God. And we want to leave here different than when we showed up. And so, Lord, we need your ideas, not ideas from a man, but ideas from the living God. And so we pray and thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are people of story. We are, we are creatures that stories tend to resonate in our hearts. They tend to get us all fired up. They tend to make us sad. They tend to make us laugh. But stories have a tendency to resonate. And that's not by accident, but by design. Uh, An example of this is my wife and I, we love the Olympics. We love, and the Olympics are coming up next month. Exciting, exciting time. But we love the Olympics. And it's funny because I don't even think we like the sports of the Olympics. But several years ago, uh, when my wife and I met, uh, we kind of, our first dating kind of revolved around the Olympics. I would go to her house for any reason I could find to go and be around her. And the Olympics happened to be on. And so we'd sit there and we'd watch the Olympics. And like sometimes I'd come after work and she'd already be there. And she'd be sitting there on the edge of the couch very intently watching like curling. (laughs) And it's, have you ever watched curling? It's a big puck and on ice, and people push it, and they sweep it, like in front of it, like that, and that's a sport, I guess, but it was the backstories that got us excited, I'd be like, I, I would walk in, and I'd say, what's going on here, and she'd say, well, this guy, he's got a chance to win the Olympic gold, and the crazy thing is, two weeks ago, he had terminal cancer, but now he's here, and this is just an incredible story of overcoming the odds, and I'm like, wow, now I'm in, I like curling now, you know, I'm looking forward to this summer. Race walking is a big thing now. <laughs> like, it's a big thing. If you go on YouTube and look up, like, Olympic race walking, these people take it very seriously. And there's all kinds of backstories, like one guy, legs are gone, and now he has legs, and it's incredible. Now he has a chance to go for gold. And so these types of stories get us excited. Uh, and so we are peoples of story, and I, I see this, like in my son, I have a, a son who's four years old, a daughter that's two and a half, and then another son who's 11 months old. And my son, my oldest son, is just getting into that superhero stage where he loves superheroes, and in fact, he is all of them. <laughs> and like, I'll come home at night, and the first thing he'll, he'll say to me is, Dad, let's fight. And I always have to be the bad guy. He gets to be the hero, and I guess I'm good with that. And so we'll throw pillows at each other. And, and he did this one move where he was Buzz Lightyear. And so I think he's a little confused as to what Buzz's weapons are. Because instead of using the laser, 
he was using the thrusters. And so he would turn around and go, like, all right, that works, that works. And I, I remember it too, growing up, wanting to have like theme music to my life. Has anybody ever had that experience where you're like, I wish I had some theme music? Or at different times, like when you're just walking somewhere, you wish there was like cool music playing. And sometimes you kind of slow down the pace. Like when I was, so I went through a stage when I was like sixth grade, seventh grade, maybe a little bit into eighth grade, where I was into hip hop big time. Yep. And I'd be like walking along and I'd start like, I'd practice beatboxing. I'm not very good, but I'd be like, and I was walking along and thinking like, that's happening for me right now. (laughs) And so we are people that, that like to imagine and believe that there's a story. Even our life pattern, our existence is in story structure. You think about it, beginning and plot characters. We're in a story. And that's not coincidence, it's not just our imagination, but it is actually a reality, that we are a part of a large story. And I think when we we start to get into what is truth, what is reality, and we start to, we need that story, and to understand that story to get those big questions. So we're going to be talking about the meaning of life and the source of faith. Okay, we've been in this faith series and so I, I, Justin said, hey, could you come up with, you know, something to say? And I thought, well, I'll just pick something small like the meaning of life. <laughs> so that's why we're here. Um, and so, yeah, there, when you look at the Bible, 75% of it is narrative. Narrative is a fancy way of saying story structure. So 75% of the Bible, the way God has chosen to reveal himself to his people is through narrative, through story. And so we have to understand, I think, the larger story that all these smaller stories point to to understand our place in this story and what's expected of us and kind of who's the hero, who the villains are, those types of things. Uh, There's a quote by C.S. Lewis. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote Mere Christianity and Screwtape Letters, all these um, just phenomenal uh, books. And I like it when he says, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not because I see it, but by it I see everything else. And I think sometimes we need that perspective shift. That we understand Christianity is not just one of multiple philosophies, ideologies, things that we could pick and decide, okay, I'm going to live according to this system. But it literally is illuminating reality. It stands above and beyond. Whether we agree with it or not, it provides the light by which we see everything else. And we're going to see that as this uh, kind of unfolds this morning. So the first thing uh, is we have to understand the meta-narrative or the big overstory of the Bible. And it's kind of in four parts. You have creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation or completion. So in creation, we, we understand God creates and he says that it is good. He creates it good, perfect, beautiful, and right. And then in Genesis 3, we have the fall. And we have the serpent, who is the most crafty on the earth, comes in and tempts Adam and Eve. And he begins to get them to question the word of God. Did God really say you can't eat of the tree? And Eve says, yeah, we can eat of all the trees except for that one. For if we eat of it, we will surely die. And then Satan says, 
you won't surely die. God just doesn't want you to eat that one because then you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. And that's the temptation, to be like God. And from there, from the fall, we have the whole story of God redeeming his people. That's the story. You look throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, God is redeeming his people. He's buying them back. He's delivering them from idolatry and sin because that's the thing that happens at the fall. When Adam and Eve are expunged from the garden, they're left to go and seek and search for significance, safety, and meaning apart from God. And so that's what unfolds throughout the whole Old Testament, time and time again, seeking significance, safety, fulfillment, and meaning in other things. And we see idolatry run rampant. And it's interesting because in the Ten Commandments, the first two, you shall have no other God, and you shall make for yourself no carved or graven images. The rest of those follow, but the first two are about idolatry. I think it was Martin Luther who said, you can't commit or break commandments three through ten without first having broken commandments one and two. That idolatry is is the sinful byproduct of the fall. It's the human condition we reside in. And that's what God is redeeming us from. Finding our ultimate meaning and purpose in something other than him. Idolatry is simply when you make something good the ultimate. When you put something in place of God, then only God should be in that place. And in reality, it's not usually a bunch of different gods. Surely there are are a lot of idols that are going on in our lives that Christ redeems us from and buys us back from and delivers us from. But ultimately, it's either God or it's us. When you really break it down, we either are trying to be God or we acknowledge the one true God and we faithfully, joyfully submit to his lordship. And if you're left to be God, then you ultimately have the responsibility of, de- of determining meaning and purpose for your life. And that's, that's when we see all other idolatry unfold. And that's a heavy burden to try to figure out what your life means. I mean, I remember thoughts as a kid and even through middle school and high school wondering what it's all about. What's this whole thing for? Is it, is it just to grow up and get a job and get married and have kids and, and then the cycle just perpetuates itself? Is it to make money and, and have things and, and have fun? Is it about comfort? Like, what is this whole game about? And that's, those are the questions that if you're God, then you have to answer and you have to provide sufficient meaning for. But if he is God, then he defines it. And we get to faithfully fall under the covering and the safety and the leading of our Lord and Savior Christ. That's the joy. That's exciting that we don't have to be God. What a relief. So, the meaning of life. If he's God and he gets, you know, he has the burden of defining meaning and purpose for us, then what is that? Well, most Christians, I think rightfully so, will, will somehow give the answer that it has something to do with God's glory. 
right? How many would say that that's probably a safe, if you're going to throw out one, that's probably a good one to start with. Like the meaning of life is God's glory. I think that's probably a good one. Now that's, I would agree with you, but I also think that's incredibly vague. <laughs> I remember when I was in college, I would go home and visit my brother and he has two sons and they were little guys at the time and we were listening to that third day song, Show Me Your Glory. Have you heard that song? Show me your glory. Anyway, so we're, we're rocking out to that and I turn the car off and my oldest nephew, who's probably, he's probably five or six at the time, he, sa- he says, Uncle Chad, what's a glory? And I'm thinking, uh, to five and six glory, hmm. Well, that's a good question. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, you, you can talk about the Old Testament. Well, it's, it's a cloud. It's flashings of light. It's God's presence. And they're, they're like, ooh, that sounds scary, right? Or you, some people talk about it, and it can be, it, it's often used in terms of God's character. God's glory is his character manifest. It's praise, it's worship, it's the honor he's due. This is all true. But I think there's a place in Scripture that helps us within this meta narrative draw some, some definite conclusions to how does this affect us? How does this inform us as to the meaning of our life? How does this help us when we wake up every morning and go eat lunch and are working with our coworkers, raising our children, going to school, studying until two in the morning? How does that idea of God's glory inform every aspect of our life, give meaning to our life? And that's what I'd like to do. So we're going to look in uh, John uh, chapter 17 this morning. And this, uh, I think, is one of the high points of Scripture, John 17. If not, maybe the highest. I think this is an incredible and very unique section of Scripture. It's... It probably in your Bibles uh, is denoted as the high priestly prayer is kind of the, the title that's given above it. And it's, it's interesting because here we have a glimpse into Jesus, the Son, praying to God the Father. And it's also interesting because the location of this prayer in the life of Jesus, the earthly life of Jesus, is at the end of his life. He knows his death is literally 24 hours away. In fact, in John 13, when they're all seated around the table and you have kind of the final Passover with his disciples, he tells Judas to go and do what you need to do. And so we, we understand that Jesus knows the timing of things. And he knows that this is, this is right before. He's, right, he's about to be captured or taken in and all these events are about to unfold. And this is it. This is the last kind of uh, intimate moment he's going to have and, and so, when you think about, if you knew, you knew for sure that your life was ending in a couple hours, or, or kind of this, this period was done, what would be on your mind? What would be on your thoughts? Probably the greater things of significance. Probably the big ideas. Probably what was it all for? What's it all about? If you were with somebody you loved, you'd probably ensure that, that they knew you loved them and you would pass on any, just the, the kind of the big stuff that you wanted them to know. And that's what we see here. That's what we see in John 17. And so I think it's an interesting glimpse into the heart of Jesus and the heart of the Father 
and the heart of what it's all about. So we'll get into it. Um, and you'll see as we go forward here, this glory, it, it drips with glory language. And so that's going to be something that we spend our time on this morning. Uh, so let's, let's read John uh, chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. It's a powerful section of scripture, and what I would like to do is is try to kind of unpack it a little bit, because there's a lot there. And... It's just powerful when I've studied this in the past and I just see new things each time I study it. And 
It's just incredible what's going on here. So you have this, this prayer of Jesus, and it's broken up into three paragraphs. Uh, how many of you are like, you take notes in your Bibles? Okay, this is a good section to really kind of tear up or write down. Don't like, oh, let's get out of here. So it's, it's divided into three paragraphs. And those, it's just amazing how these three different paragraphs um, are distinct uh, and they each kind of advance this meta-narrative that we are in and provide meaning for life. Uh, and they kind of connect to the whole. And so this first paragraph is verses 1 through 5. And this is Jesus' request. He's making a request. He's appealing to God the Father and asking him for something. And we see that in verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's the request. Glorify me again with the same glory I had before I came. And the second paragraph is the fulfillment of that. This is what, what that looks like fulfilled. Jesus receiving or having the glory that he had with the Father before. And then you have the third paragraph, which is the result. This is the byproduct of the fulfillment. This is what's going to happen if this is fulfilled. And so we'll break these down. Because I think it's, it's so important to, to understand what exactly does glory mean here. Um, the glory that Jesus had with the Father before the world began. It seems to be somehow motivating him as he goes to the cross. It's that glory that he had with the Father that motivates him in moving forward. Um, he says, glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. But what happens is this glory, which also shows up again in the last paragraph, as we'll see, is absolutely cru- crucial to our understanding here. So we have this glory language. You see it just dripping. He says in verse 1, glorify your Son so the Son may glorify you. In verse 4, I glorified you on earth. 5, uh, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory. Uh, And you see all this glory language. And then you see at the very end, in the last paragraph, in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. You see this in verse 24, um, where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Uh, And so you see this. There's something to be said about this glory that, first of all, it's something that, that existed before creation. This glory that Jesus is talking about that he had existed before humanity existed. And then it's interesting because it's also something that he can then give to his people. Do you notice that? That he talks about, I want, Father, give me, glorify me in the same way that I was glorified before the foundations of the earth. And then he talks about, I've given this glory to them. And I think that's crucial to the way we read and understand this text. That God is telling us something very profound here in the reason why we exist. And so, yeah, he, he uh, throughout the second paragraph, it starts to talk a lot about a group of people who are now a part of the story in a more frequent way. He starts talking about they, them, the people whom you gave me out of the world, that they know, um, that they have believed that you've sent me, those whom you've given me. I mean, you just keep going through here. In fact, in my Bible, I've circled every time a glory word is used. I've underlined every time a they or them reference is made. 
and it just jumps out at the page. You're like, whoa, whoa, there's something significant about these ideas that there's this glory he had and then there's this people that he's talking about that he's going to give them the glory that he had. And, and so I want, I want this to become less kind of, just kind of, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's just really kind of a big concept. And I think it needs to come down to earth so we can live our lives by it. How, you guys agree? Because this is, yeah. So let's get to that. So this glory shows up again in the third paragraph. So what does this mean? Well, this glory then has to be something that Jesus had before creation, and it has to be something that he can give to his people in the here and now. And so I think with those clues, contextually there are things that identify what this glory is. Okay? The word that Jesus is using here is, is Greek, and it's, it's doxa, which can be translated as glory, majesty, or fame throughout Scripture. And I think here it takes on... A, an interesting character as well. And so what you have, um, there are three things mentioned in John uh, that already existed before the Father, between the Father and the Son before creation, I mean, and which Jesus claims to give or share with his followers and extends to them. There's three things that also occur in this text. And the first one is that Jesus knows the Father. Jesus has knowledge. He knows God the Father. And then he goes on to say, now these know you too. Notice that he, he does that. He says, I know you, Father, and now they know you. A second thing is the Father has loved the Son. And that now that love is in them, these people also. That the Father has loved the Son. You see this in verse 23 where he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Okay, so we have two things. There's Jesus' knowledge of the Father before, and now he's given that knowledge to them, that they know God, the Father, that God the Father loved Jesus before the foundations of the earth, and now that love is in them. And the third thing is the joy I have in you now my joy is now in them. Oh, thanks, Cheech. So, the joy. Jesus talks about this in verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The joy that Jesus has of and with and in the Father that they now have in themselves. So there's three things that kind of meet the criteria that are consistent with this glory. So the glory is something that existed between the Father and Son before the foundations of the earth. It's now something that he has given to his followers and the followers that will believe in Jesus through their word. That's us. Isn't that pretty awesome? That as this is being written, Jesus had in mind that this very day would take place, that we would read this scripture, and that this would enlighten us to live in freedom and liberty in Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. So, the three things again. Jesus knows the Father, and now, that, now they know the Father. The Father loves Jesus, and now that love is in them. And 
The joy, Jesus has joy in the Father and now that joy is in themselves. Knowing, loving, and enjoying God. That's the glory. That's the glory that Jesus is talking about here. Knowing, loving, and enjoying God. That's the glory that Jesus is requesting. When he says, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the, the world existed. The knowing and the loving. What this gets at is this points to something that's so fundamental to our understanding of existence, but our, our understanding of who God is. And that's the Trinity. That he is a triune God. One God, three persons. And something that's just, just so powerful that logically, what this means is that before the foundations of the earth, before any of this existed, before there was this globe floating around in, in space, that God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed, eternally past. There is no time when they were not. And this enjoyment, this perfect knowing, loving, and enjoying is, has been going on between God the Father, God the Son, through the Holy Spirit for eternity past. It's not like God was lonely and so he created humans. No. Perfect, mutual, self-giving, mutually reciprocated, knowing, loving, and enjoying. And so I think what's so profound about this text and about what Jesus is telling us here is that is essentially what we have been invited into. There's been a perfect knowing, loving, and enjoyment of the triune God for eternity past. And it wasn't like he was bored and so he because that wasn't enough. And so he's like, ah, we'll try earth. We'll make the universe and have some entertainment on the side. No. That's not it. I, I think a way that, that I've best experienced this, the, best, the, the way that I've been able to wrap my mind around it the best is in our marriage and, and having children. I mean, you can think of a scenario of a young couple that are absolutely madly in love and they decide they want to have children. Now, sometimes there's unhealthy reasons. Uh, maybe they feel like there's something lacking in their marriage so they think children are going to fix it and that's, that's a bad idea. Or somehow there's idolatry and, and they're looking for meaning personal significance, and so they decide, that's a bad idea too, that's, that's idolatry. But if, in this marriage, they recognize there is a, a mutual self-giving, there's a love that is enjoyed within this marriage, and they want to share it, they want others to enjoy and, and participate and experience this love, and so they decide to have children. To extend the boundaries of this knowing, loving, and enjoying of each other. And you can see that through adoption. And you can see that through having uh, children. Is that it's, it's a bringing in. And so it becomes not only the motive, but the goal. The motive is, okay, I want others to share this. 
And so that also becomes the goal. The goal is that they would participate in the knowing and the loving and the enjoying. And I think that's what we see here. That is on display is, is Christ is talking to the Father and he's expressing that they will know and that the watching world will know and that it becomes missional. It becomes the agenda. It becomes, that's our meaning. That's why we're here, is to be brought into. God has extended the boundaries now of what's been going on in eternity past. The knowing, loving, and enjoying of God. And now he's saying, come. I'm making the the boundaries bigger so you can be a part of this. That's why we exist. That's the purpose. That's the meaning. That's what every single thing you do in every minute of your day is about. It's to that end. To know, love, and enjoy God. (laughs) That's incredible. That's, yeah, clap it up. That's good stuff. So, glory is defined as relationship here. That it is relationship. At the core of it, It's relationship between God the Father, the Son, through the Holy Spirit, and now we have been brought in to that very relationship. That's exciting stuff. And so I think uh, what's so powerful is that if you're a Christian here in this room today, that as we were singing this morning, and as we sing every Sunday morning, that's what you're doing. You're participating in knowing and loving and enjoying God in song. When you're involved in community and you're bringing desserts to somebody's house for a community group or you're, you're helping somebody you know, accomplish something or you're just hanging out, you're participating in the knowing and the loving and the enjoying of God through his people because that's what we're brought into. He talks about that they would have that unity that you and I, Father, have. That they would be one as we are one. That they would know, love, and enjoy us through their relationships. And that they would point others to them. That is what God is after in the world. This is why you are sitting here, breathing, having an existence that you did not choose or deserve or bring about, but which is sheer gift of grace, of self-giving love. As you go about your life, There's a lot to experience and there's a lot to enjoy. But this is what every single experience, every single facet of your being, every single hope and dream and ambition is designed to revolve around and be interpreted within to advance, to deepen, and cultivate your knowledge, your love, and your joy for God the Father. You were created to join in this. And it's been extended. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes Christianity becomes uh, something we got to do. It's quiet times, it's prayer, it's go to worship service, it's get ready for a community group, it's read my Bible, it's do good things. But if it doesn't, if that stuff doesn't come out of a desire to know, love, and enjoy God, 
that's not going to be very fulfilling. It's not going to be enjoyable. And it's going to start to feel a lot like legalism. Like it's stuff you have to do and so, so that God will be happy with you. And that's a lie. That Satan's going to continue to try to get us off track here. And he's going to try to turn Christianity into idolatry. And this behavior and participation is going to be about rules and regulations. And we're going to forget that we've been brought into the knowing, loving, and enjoying. That it's motivated by love, not fear. So, through Christ, the natural order of creation has been restored. And that's that big story. Creation, fall, redemption, and ultimately, consummation. Creation will be restored perfectly to its intended purpose.